about to hear was originally recorded for the TrackSec podcast. You can find out more about the TrackSec podcast at www.tracksec.com. This interview is with Astira, who has done evangelism for hackerspaces throughout Europe. Now, today we're really lucky. We have an interview um, for everyone in podcast land. Um, we've managed to, to get Astira, um, who uh, has given a couple of talks uh, in the past and is involved in hackerspaces and so on and forth. Astira, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Astira. Could you um, introduce yourself? Thanks for, for inviting me. <laughs> Absolutely oh, sure awesome. I can. So, um, as we know already, my name is Sarah. I'm also very much looking forward to the show today. <laughs> um, I'm working as a Suzadman and NetApps at a company called Nessus. Um, I really do, really love my job. Um, however, every other spare minute, um, I kind of spend on a couple of projects, most of which are in some way. Uh, have to do with um, hackerspaces.org or the hackerspaces movement in general. Um, as you pointed out, I've given a couple of talks on this because um, hackerspaces are one very big love of mine um, and they give me a lot of mo- motivation and inspiration for whatever else I do, which is quite a lot. Esther, for people who might, uh, might not have heard of the term before, what is a hackerspace? Um, it's both simple and difficult to explain, actually. Um, if you look at the word, it's like, you know, hacker and space. So apparently, um, it is a physical space, an institution, in which hackers get together to hack on things. Um, now, what's a little more difficult about this is uh, what actually do we consider to be a hacker, right? Is that is that one of these, you know, black hat persons that you try to kick off your network every day uh, on and on again uh, as we do this work? <laughs> or do we rather say, well, a hacker is actually a person that can also go into hardware or anything and take things apart? Um, so in my very personal definition, <laughs> I, I would say a hacker is a person who rethinks things um, who wants to look behind the facade of of what is simply presented to us, who um, wants to come up with his own conclusions, wants to use um, whatever he gets his hands on uh, in probably a new way, in probably a more practical way, and probably just a very innovative way, um, and who doesn't necessarily do this for money. Um, so. The hackers we get at hackerspaces are mostly hardware hackers, or they are software engineers, or you know anything from a let's say you know designer who does web design via artists that that do in in some way computer related art to hardware hackers that build robots or you know. Um, get their hands on shiny things that come out of our living room, something like that. So, I mean, we don't you, really you say, well, you're not a hacker, you can't join. <laughs> you touched on a few a few things there, <laughs> like hardware hacking and and you know software development. 
an artist? I mean, are, are these mm. sort of normal things you see in a hackerspace, or is the you know what kind of things do you normally see happening inside a hackerspace? Well, there is actually no normal with hackerspaces, <laughs> since anything has to be questioned, right? Um, there's some hackerspaces that mainly focus on this hardware part. There's others that don't really have a hardware shop or they don't, don't have the space for this. So they mainly focus on programming. Um, now, with MetaLabs, I'm, I'm, I'm living in Vienna at the moment, um, and we have a hackerspace here called the MetaLab. And it's, it's quite a huge hackerspace, actually, uh, compared to other spaces. Um, we do have a hardware lab where uh, next to to make a box, to rep wrap uh, a CNC. Um, we also um, just just recently acquired a laser cutter, uh, which is awesome. One of these epilogue, like super huge <coughs> desk sized um, laser cutters. Um, we have incredibly an incredible amount of of tools, so you could basically you know do anything, I think. <laughs> we also have um, a little photography lab. Right now, we, we don't use it because nobody does really look into photography, but basically people did within the last three years. Uh, we have a little audio lab. We have a library um, where people just bring their books that they have read and they would like other people to share with. Um, or where small groups of people would meet to discuss their projects. Um, there's a launch just for people to hang out. Um, and there's like the main room uh, in which we do not only just sit there and hack or talk with other people, work on projects or whatever, but um, where we also hold lectures, um, presentations. From time to time we have parties there. Um, but we we use it as some bigger workshop area, basically, which is not hardware related. Uh, we have a huge kitchen as well, bathrooms and, and, and all kinds of. It's pretty big, actually. So with the med lab, especially, you could just do whatever you can think of. The only limitation really is, um, I guess, your idea. Okay, anything I mean, you could think of, basically. With. I mean, you, um, Estera, if you've been involved in, in setting up hacker spaces before, did you, were you involved in setting up the mat, uh, the mat lab or, or, or no, unfortunately or? not. No, um, I've only known the metal lab now for a little more than two years. Um, metal lab itself exists since a little more than three years now. The reason I was asking was I was just wondering, you know, how hard it would be for someone to try and, you know, say they wanted a, a hacker space in their local area, how hard it would be to get, you know, the space up and running and, 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 and sure. I was wondering if you had any experience um, with that. Yeah, I actually was around when a lot of other hacker spaces started. So it really, really depends on the location. It also really depends on on the motivation of the people involved, but, but it's mostly the location. Um, so the experience I've made was that, you know, people would probably announce this as of, you know, today you have to move like Twitter or Facebook or whatever social networking sites you use um, to, you know, 
spread the idea a little bit um, to start mailing to mailing lists and ask if anyone was interested. Um, and then you get together, mm, let's say once a week, uh, meet at a cafe um, or you know at a private space, whatever. And I think what what most uh, what what's the biggest challenge in the beginning definitely is getting those people together that are really really interested in you know joining the space and financially contributing to the space and then finding the actual location. So with cities that are very big, um, it's hard to find a place that everyone alike um, wants to join. As in, you know, if, if you need, if it takes you an hour or more to get to the space, maybe you're not as inclined to, uh, to pick the space in any else. Um, it's also that rent very, very much varies from city to city. Um, and this is basically the the initial burden that you carry with you. As soon as, as you have a physical space running, everything other is trivial. <laughs> um, a lot of people, I guess, do not start spaces because they um, they have this inherent fear of, oh my God, but what if X happens, right? Um, the point is that it's not there yet. So in in your mind, you should be aware of the fact that if something happens, you will deal with it then. For right right for now, you just do it. I mean, you, you sort of touched on this, um, and I kind of wanted to, to hop back to it, um, mm -hmm. about money is involved with it, you know, renting spaces and so on and yeah. so forth. I mean, how does a hacker space kind of fund itself? It depends. Um but mostly what you see is that when a hackerspace starts, you don't really find somebody funding your space. You don't really have, you know, stakeholders. Or <laughs> um, so it's people kind of down to the members then? More or less. You, you get mm, companies participating, let's say, by donating hardware a lot. Um, this very frequently is also the companies that the people that would join a hackerspace for, uh, because they see how this will, you know, help having employees that are better educated or that have more uh, motivation to 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 um, explore new things in, in in this kind of field in the field of technology. Well, if, if for me, is, is it a, is it a case of saying that that Hacker, hacker spaces have almost like a positive impact on the local community that they're, that, that they're basically servicing. That you almost touched yeah, on it there yourself. Yeah. That that better better employees that are going there and, and practicing and playing and, and being creative in a space that they're allowed to do that uh, rather than exercising yeah, that, that maybe on the I web. Mean, if, you, if you look at how programmers, for for example, how coders get employed these days. Um, you still don't really have that many people working on strictly open source projects. So if you would employ a person, you would rather uh, take somebody else's suggestion as towards, you know, he's a good coder um, and uh, he has experience in this and that field, rather than, you know, um, having 150 programmers show up that are all seeking a job. And you would have to pick one and then see whether he's 
you know, able to build with your project or not. So a lot of these companies would turn to the hackerspace and to their mailing list and ask, well, do we have a programmer here that is able to, you know, that's lead encoding in Python and has been working on these sort of projects last time? Uh, we get these posts a lot on the mailing list, actually. So this is another plus for companies that that would that would in some of the other way um, contribute to the hackerspace. So it's also about uh, kind of building up contacts and being able to kind of build a web, a web of contacts, which is always a good thing in industry where you, know, you don't necessarily know everything, but you do right. know someone who can help you with that. Right, right, right. This is another thing internally in a hackerspace, right? Um, I, I mentioned the fact that we have all the tools there that you could possibly think of. If we don't have it, well, maybe we can get it together. Um, the other very, very, very main focus <laughs> on a, of, of a hackerspace is, I mean, even if you had the money and had a laser cutter at home, you wouldn't be able to work together with other people. As in, you're sitting in a space, there's 10 other people around, maybe there's 30 other people around, and you have a question. You just ask, and you can be absolutely assured that somebody will have an answer. It's like, it's like a think tank of, technology experts, if they're not there yet, they're on the way of getting there. Um, everyone kind of has a little, everyone's focus is a little bit different, right? But that again makes this, this shared knowledge uh, thing so, so popular with the hackerspace. Um, and Stira, do you think local businesses are, are supportive of hackerspaces then? Or do you think that maybe, I'm just wondering if there's ever any stigma attached to, oh, there's going to be a bunch of hackers moving into an empty space next door to us. Or do you find that actually the community is very mm. supportive? This question has, has, has more facets than one. Um, so I think with moving into a building, um, people that are renting this building to you or, or the apartment or the shop or whatever it is um, would probably have some concerns. Um, this also leads to the fact that you can't really rent a space even if you really like it and it's really snugly and um, everyone's very kind. Uh, you have to think of the fact that machines are very heavy, first off, so you would rather face, like, ground level. Um, and then also, you do create a lot of noise. Um, at the Metal Lab, for instance, uh, we have cushions that we put into the windows, so if there's more people around, if we have, like, a big project there or something, we would use this cushion, these cushions so not to... Um, generate more attention than we already have from, from outside of the space. Um, so uh, this is the one thing. Now with other local businesses that are not sharing the space with you, um, I don't think that there is much stigma attached other than to the word hacker. Um, as I pointed out before, there are so many ways of interpretation of this term. And Still, after you know, like hundreds and hundreds of articles and books and discussions about what is a hacker and what does the term mean, um, 
it, it has a very negative connotation. So most hackerspaces that we know don't really call themselves hackerspace, but, you know, metal lab or some sort of lab or some sort of space, tent space, whatever. Even if you say, like, our name, our hackerspace's name is, let's say, metal lab, uh, if we... If we if we try to participate in an official something, if we write an official letter, we wouldn't call ourselves a hackerspace, but rather a center for innovation and technology. You know, you could be just anything that you like. <laughs> you don't but really have to use the term hacker. <laughs> so it's all about wording. It's all about uh, instead of Very using the word yeah. hacker, you <laughs> just have to describe it better. If you're thinking of a stigma that's attached, it's the only thing I've heard of is this term of, this, the term hacker. How big um, do you think the global hacking space community is then? Is it, is it a worldwide spread phenomenon or, or is it localized to some <laughs> areas in Europe? That's a good question. If you, I don't know if you're familiar with the list of hackerspaces on hackerspaces.org, um, we put a little map on top of this list and you can see um, all the hackerspaces that we are aware of, that we know, that we live um, on this little Google map. Um, and you see a very high concentration of hackerspaces in Europe, in North America, and then, you know, spread out of the rest of the world. We have, like, here and there a little dot of a little hackerspace. Um, but it's by far not as populated as Europe and North America. Um, now, what we do not know is, you could call it maybe the dark number of hackerspaces, because probably, you know, hackerspaces.org is just a page. Um, not everyone is into wiki. Not everyone has ever heard about it. Um, most likely, people in Asia are not as likely to have heard about it than the people in Europe, maybe. Um, so right at the moment, I think we have over 360 hackerspaces that we know, um, out of which about 200 have the status of being active, as in they have the space up and running. Um, the rest pretty much is planned or building right at the moment. Um, and then... Oh, it's it's very 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 hard to say um, how many spaces there are that would not like to be listed in such a list. Now, I've, I've mentioned the fact that a hackerspace is a physical location, right? Now, some people go out and rent a building. Um, some people uh, just squat a place, and this has a very long tradition. For instance, in Italy or in Spain, or you know, more southern countries, at least in Europe. Uh, so there's a lot of squats there, and most of them would not want to be listed on this list of hackerspaces just simply because of the legal situation of the space. Do you think that there's a lot of, uh, of hackerspaces then that are, are set up... Um, well, how do we say this? On the, on the grayer side of... of <laughs> of legitimacy. Um, I don't think that it's a lot, like a whole lot. I just think it's some. And mm. as a number of 
you know, if I only have data of 360 spaces, most of which are from the same region, uh, being Europe and North America, I can't really, I can't really tell how many places there might be in in Asia. I don't, I have no clue about squatting in Asia. Do you? <laughs> like, there's so many countries that you don't really know how how tradition would 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 kind of mix into into this concept of article. Probably they just don't want to call themselves hackspace. And then again, maybe they just have never heard of hackspace before. So it, it's really hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're trying to do with, you know, given talks um, on hackerspaces, on the hackerspaces movement all over the world, is mainly to, to raise a little bit of awareness um, and to, to have people contact each other. Because probably somebody has an idea like the one of setting up a hackerspace and hasn't really worded it yet in his own hack. Um, and thinks he's pretty much alone. We've we've had this actually when I think the first talk I ever gave in Hackerspace was at the Last Hope in New York. Um, and shortly after that, um, some people from South Africa contacted me and were like, they were so enthused about this talk, right? They they only got it on video, like the DVD, and um one of the founders of, of this South African hackerspace actually wrote a blog post um, just a while before that uh, saying, well, he's thinking, he's having this idea of a space where, you know, like-minded people could get together, chat about technology, uh, chat about security, um, chat about programming, whatever. And, you know, moving this away from your own home uh, and from your workplace into something that we call the third room. Um, a place that is not considered to be work, but what you're actually doing there is work. Um, where you spend your spare time, your free time, apart from home um, to devote your time to a specific project. And so he was having this idea um, completely individually and then he saw the talk and was like, oh my God, Like, there's this whole movement that I don't know how many thousands of people that came up with the same idea already and apparently it worked. And um, so he just went into it, had had our space, basically. Um, and it was, it was really inspiring to hear this um, of, of a person that is so far away from anything that that has ever, you know, thought of calling itself a hackerspace even. So I, I think more. that a lot of people that, that, that see that see such a talk or that hear about it or read about it in the news um, will think, oh, well, actually, this is something that, that I thought about previously and I just couldn't give it a name. And then there's others that haven't heard about it but find the idea interesting. I have two more hackerspace questions for you. I'm sorry, I have to declare a public yeah. interest. I'm, I'm really interested in hackerspaces. We're, we're really <laughs> looking at trying to get one up. So it's great, great for me to be able to speak to you, Stuart, honestly. Um, I have two questions for you to, for, for, for about hackerspaces anyway. The first one uh-huh. is, uh, am, I, am I fair in saying that, you, that, that, that 
they seem to be getting more popular than this movement starting to get more and more well bigger you know in the lack of a better word there but is are you seeing a growth in hacker spaces or or is this just steadily the same amount of hacker spaces are coming as they were years before um there has been a pretty fast growth um just like i think starting about let's say two years ago um especially in the United States. Um, if you remember, I'm not sure whether listeners are um, uh, aware of the chaos communication camp that takes place every four years, or every two years if you count uh, the Netherlands one in. Um, so there was a chaos communication camp uh, in Germany, and a lot of, um, a lot of hackers from the United States would get together on a plane uh, as a group of people and come over to Europe just, just to see this camp. Um, the, this, this plane project was called Hackers on the Plane and they actually did it again for the Netherlands camp just, just this summer. Um, but they came over and they figured they might as well stay for a couple more days, right? And so after they camped, they went on a little trip through hackerspaces in Germany and visited these and were so fascinated um, that they that some of them decided to, you know, we have to start a hacker phase in the States as well. Um, and then there was a lot of talk about these. So the hacker spaces that came out of this, this kind of area where uh, the New York City Resistor, for instance, or Noise Bridge in San Francisco, which is an awesome space, and they just got their second space because um, the, the first one grew too small. Um, or Hack DC in Washington, D.C. Um, Nick Farr is a person that you would frequently hear being talked about in this, in this conversation just because he, he very much spread the word. Um, so most of the spaces that you see popping up right now in the United States came out of this group of you know, maybe 20 hackers that came over to the camp flew back and had this inspiration of, we have to create a hacker space as well. And then other people see this and other people hear about it and other people read about it. And it's like, you know, it's like a huge wave that gets started. Um, I think as, as before that, um, there was a tradition in, in, in hacker spaces, of course, in Germany. Um, mainly started by the CCC, um, where you, where everyone was very, very, you know, aware of what a hackerspace is, basically, and um, they they already existed in Europe for, you know, like maybe twenty years back. Um, there's some that existed for quite a while in Italy as well, uh, as I was mentioning, these squatter places. Uh, in the Netherlands, there's been Aski and Puski uh, for years and years. Um, of course, there's also been smaller spaces in the United, uh, in the United States, um, but it's more like, you know, the Hacker Halfway House in New York or the Loft which is some sort of a hackerspace, especially the last was. Um, but, but it doesn't really think of itself as, as 
part of the community that is, well, a hackspace movement or whatever you would call it. So definitely, definitely um, spreading the news much, much more created a huge wave of hackerspaces that are being, you know, that, that wave's been popping up. And every so often, somebody gives an inspiring talk at a conference, or <laughs> we get slashed at it or whatever, um, you see how there's maybe 10, maybe 15 more spaces on the list that have the status plan. <laughs> I mean, this is, that, that kind of leads nicely on to my, my last question for you about hackerspaces. Um, I mean, it sounds then really, you know, is, is it fair to say that advice um, for people um, wishing, wanting to either get involved in a space or, or, or setting one up, basically they, they need to start mm -hmm. getting the message out there and, and, and talking to other people, maybe through social media, you know, social networking and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, what sort of advice would you give to someone who, That's like I say, wants to get involved? Exactly that, actually. As I pointed out, there's, you know, there's various, various mailing lists you could send um, your suggestion to. Let's say, I, I guess most of the larger cities nowadays have a Linux user group. Nowadays, actually. Yeah, skip the nowadays. <laughs> have a Linux user group or, you know, a Unix user group. Um, uh, these are people that, that frequently like the idea you know, hackerspace, and would want to get involved. Um, you have technical universities, science universities, computer science universities, um, where you could, you know, mail your get-together request, whatever it is, to. Uh, you can blog about it. You can Twitter about it. You can announce it um, at other hackerspaces lists, because probably a person that's interested in hackerspaces would be reading the list of a city that's close by, although they are not living there just because they don't have their own space yet in their city. Um, and then, you know, just try to get as many people as possible together in one location and then talk about it and, and suggest your ideas. Um, anything that, that leads from there um, is, is something for which you'd have to know how many people are interested already. I mean, you can't really start a hackerspace on yourself. If, if you go by the hackerspace design patterns, for instance, the perfect number of people would be four, at, at least at a minimum, to start a space. Um, but I guess anything that's more than two is, is awesome already and probably enough. It's just you need to keep the motivation up. You need to keep people uh, motivated to come again and again, even if you don't have a physical location yet. Um, awesome. That was, for instance, a problem with, with Noisebridge, who were looking for a space for months, for a very, very long time. And then um, we visited them, and uh, somebody made a suggestion that, you know, by next week, you, you could see that people weren't motivated anymore to, to invest more time in this. And they would fall off the group and wouldn't come to the cafeteria kind of meeting once a week anymore. And so somebody made the suggestion that until the very next week, 
everyone should get together in groups of two and go out and walk through the city and look out for places that were up for rent. And everyone should just, you know, visit one of them and have a look at them and see whether that was suitable or not. And then by the very next week, they had a space. They were signing the contract the next week. It was incredibly fascinating. Yeah, I didn't want to keep it too long because I know you're, you're a busy person and you've already spent uh, today working. So um, moving away <laughs> from fine. the hackers. You love your work. <laughs> Moving away from the hackerspace stuff, what I what I really wanted to talk quickly about was your talk at the the upcoming uh, CCC in December. The annihilation, the discourse on robotic war. Yeah, twenty sixty three. So, right. What what is it about? I mean, this is this is kind of a, a move away from what you what you've been talking about previously, and it seems very interesting. <laughs> Not really, actually. I've I've talked about robotics before. Um, I have to admit that the first time I was given a talk on, on the subject, I was like, well, you know, this is going to be a fun talk. Like, once in my lifetime, I want to do a really fun talk and talk about, you know, if it's not zombies, it's robots. And I'm very much into robotics. So I, I did, you know, work on a couple of robots myself, very little ones. Um, and I was very fascinating. Um, uh, was very fascinated with the book that I read by um, P.W. Singer, uh, who's been researching robotics for years and years now. It was called Wired for War. The, the talk itself, uh, even the first time that I held it, did not turn out to be funny at all. Um, actually, if we look at the development that's done in this direction right now, in robotics in general, but also in, in warfare robotics, as in robots that are used in war scenarios in the army, um, is rather frightening than anything else. Um, we've seen a couple of um, what 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 they would call bugs or um, little security drawbacks maybe um, that haven't really made it into the news obviously uh, because of the source they came from <laughs> um, but I think the main problem is that everyone's trying to save money on warfare especially now with, with the war in Iraq um, and so deploying robots is, is a much more cost-effective way of dealing with war. Um, as in, you're not losing people, right? You've developed this one machine, and you can just reproduce it. You don't have to teach anyone anything. Uh, you, you just have an army that really follows. You don't really have anyone rethinking whatever your order was. And it's, it's basically way, che way more cheaper than... Um, than fighting war with real people. Now, what this leads to, though, is um, that the ethics of warfare do change at an inc incredible pace. As in, like, never before we could just decide on whether we go to war or not by saying, well, can we afford this? Because then we just do it. We're not going to lose people on this. We're not going to, you know... Um, the nation will not 
care as much for it. There is no moral, you know, connections to what you're doing in a faraway country anymore uh, if you're not losing your own people. Um, and and I think it's it's mainly those those ethics of warfare that have changed so much or that are that are about to change so much uh, that are that I care about a lot. Um, but yeah, in, in this talk, the total annihilation talk, I will also focus a lot on the technology that's being used nowadays. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I really appreciate about events like the the Chaos Computer Congress is that they tend to cross over quite a lot between the technology and the political side of things, whereas most other conferences are purely focused on technology and, and completely forget <laughs> about the, the cultural effects on things like that. So. Very true, very true. But, but then again, you know, it's a hacker conference. It's not a security conference. <laughs> so, again, you have like a hacker exactly. conference for yeah. people who rethink basically anything. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the conference. Yeah, I mean, but there's there's a fine line, I guess, between you know, quite a lot of people I know. They consider a hacker conference and a security conference as the same thing, um, but there is obviously a fine line between the two. I mean, there's different. <laughs> there is. There see is. some of these talks being accepted for Black Hat. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you tried to t do this talk at Black Hat, people wouldn't wouldn't get it because they're interested in the technology and how they can use it, and that's not something that this this. Well, you know, there's also slides on this talk which actually deal with the security that's inherent in this, these technologies, but this is just a very, you know, it's just a small part of the whole picture of are we, are we actually being afraid of robots for a good reason or not, or um, should we start thinking about other minor <laughs> details of, of the whole technology there? Yeah, well, that does sound like an interesting talk, and hopefully I'll I'll be there for it. I'm, I'm if my plane arrives on time, then I should be there for it. So. Oh wow! <laughs> okay. About the uh, the the price of warfare, yeah. uh, do you actually you know have you, have you actually looked into how much it costs to to kind of create these kind of robots that that you're mm -hmm. going to talk? Yes, talk? and I will also talk. <laughs> I have a couple of slides on these. Okay, no problem. Well, I, don't, I don't want to ruin the okay, content cool. of the talk. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Privileged yeah. information. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm afraid I have a lot of things on my mind right now, so I don't. I have a very bad memory. I don't really have the numbers on the top of my head. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'll mention them. Just, just another <laughs> question as well, just going back, going back off the robots. How, how often do you spend at the hackerspace personally? Uh, how much time do I spend at the hackathons? Um, I have to admit, um, it's been much, much, much more time uh, a couple of months back. Um, now I've been traveling quite a lot. I have to say that I do miss being at the metal lab whenever I'm on my on, on travels. But basically every second week I'm on. Uh, so I might not be the right person to ask that much, but um, I would say, if, if I would say how much, what what big a percentage of my spare time, or my, you know, not at work time, would I spend at the hackathon? am I in Vienna? Uh, I'd say it's probably around, hmm, maybe 25%. But as I said, like back in the days, was much, much, much more than that. I just 
right now at my home I have my little test lab and everything so I'm building those right now at, at home rather than at home. Yeah. Um, but yeah so at some point um, it's been about 50 to 70 percent uh, in the interest of covering up the wrapping up the interview um, th firstly thank you very much for all your time Estera it's been absolutely fantastic um, <laughs> if people are wanting to find out more about Hackerspaces, is, am I right? Is the, the web address hackerspace.org? It is hackerspaces.org, right? Spaces.org. So there's and a blog on there, there's a wiki page, there's a couple of mailing lists, so probably just <laughs> pop them up the mailing list. Not much traffic on it. Um, we also have a Jabber server. So. Alright, okay. Do you Twitter at all? Can people find you on Twitter? <laughs> yes, I'm a Sarah. Um, and hackerspaces.org has its own little bot that has been rewritten by a fellow hackerspace member from um, TempLab in Paris uh, called Helikin. So that one's running as hackerspaces bot on Twitter. Quite a long name for Twitter. <laughs> uh, also, I was just thinking whether I should announce something or not. So basically, you definitely announce right now something it's something. Okay, think of something. So um, <laughs> apparently, I'll be at 2063, but so will be a lot of other hackerspace people. So if people are here to this podcast and might also be in Berlin at that time, uh, we'll be having a desk upstairs, I think, at the BCC, uh, where they can drop by at any time and ask questions or you know, we we're thinking of organizing a little workshop. Um, to see where the hackerspaces.org thing is going for the next time. Since we've, we've devoted a lot of our time to, you know, getting new spaces running and helping with that. So now that there's over 360 of them, probably we should also look a little bit more into education, which is one of our main, you know, um, spotlights at the moment. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll do some sort of workshop as well for the movement itself kind of as for people that want to build a hackerspace maybe and want to you know gather a little bit of more background knowledge on what to look out for um, and we'll have a little riddle challenge as we did last year um, just this year it's not programming it's soldering this year it's, it's, it's a riddle um, and what else Actually, this last week, uh, I spent a lot of time on uh, planning and organizing and getting people together and everything, again, for the upcoming year's PlumoCon. So, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with DeepSec at all, which is a security conference in Vienna. Um, that's always in November, has been the third time this year. And so last summer, I decided to put together a little hacker conference as, you know, opposed to the security conference, a hack, a hack conference that just, you know, that in a very snuggly place and a fun place to be where people could hack. Um, there was a lot of hardware hacking going on there, phone freaking. It, it was a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> and failed, but also fun. So since people asked, we're doing this again next year um, from the 2nd to the 4th of July and we just started planning all of that. 
um, that's coming up as well. Uh, but yeah, that was it. <laughs> awesome, Estera. Um, thank you, like I said before, thank you very much for, for jumping on the call with us and everything like that. Um, it's It's been fantastic. Um, as I say, um, for all those listeners who are wanting to, to find out more, do hop along to hackerspaces.org. Um, and as you can see, you can find Estera on Twitter as well. Um, Thank you for listening to Hack Republic Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.